Hi everyone, PJ here. This episode of JLA Cast was recorded before the allegations were made against several men working in the comics industry today. It does include reference to and talk of a number of books written by Warren Ellis. John and I would like to make it absolutely clear that we believe the victims and we firmly stand with them. Thank you. Welcome to the JLA cast, um, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. I'm John, and I'm a creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I'm the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. Now, PJ, we're we're back uh, after a, a cliffhanger ending, kind of, well... We're right in the heart of what may prove to be the most pivotal JLA adventure in this entire series. I think you'd agree. What is wrong with you? <laughs> PJ, <laughs> why, why, why are you going to hate? PJ, why, why, I mean, why have you got to hate? I, mean, I enjoy it, but there's a lot better. We've covered a lot better already, and we're going to cover a lot better in the future. Now, it does occur to me that your... Um, your uh, rampant hatred. Well, let, let's let's just get right to the chase. Uh, your ignorant uh, opinions <laughs> on Grifter's mask, I, I think, are are colouring our entire adventure here together because it's a thing of beauty, PJ. And I, I wish you could just open your heart up to it. That doesn't mean it's not utterly, utterly stupid. And even within the context of superhero costumes, which by their very nature, a lot of them are very stupid. This mask is particularly stupid. Now, I know. You see, the problem, the only, the only thing I'll give you uh, that might conceivably be considered stupid is his headset, his, his mask is like a glorified handkerchief. Yeah. Let's be honest, kind of tied around his head. It looks astounding. It looks incredible. We all agree it's a, it's a visual tour de force. Um, however, if I were to go and tie a handkerchief around my face. I would start with a great big square piece of fabric, then kind of fold it into a triangle, like a like I was in the Cub Scouts, and I'd, I'd roll a little bit over, and then I'd wrap it around my head, kind of like a, a neckerchief right. going around my forehead. Um, Gr- Grifter's mask has, like, eye pieces kind of cut into it. But they're not cut into it because they've got that weird kind of white lens yeah. thing, which most superheroes have. So I'm kind of like, okay, does that mean he's got eye lenses built into the handkerchief? And if he has to fold it in half like I would, does that mean there are technically 
four lenses in a big square piece of fabric. You see where I'm going? See, my, my main issue with it is his secret identity could be revealed by a gentle breeze. PJ, look, okay. There's there's a there's a sliding scale of improbability. When has a gentle breeze ever caused a problem in comics? I mean, like Oh god, no, I was I was just thinking about the impracticality of various costumes and suddenly realizing how a gentle breeze could cause a lot of problems. Um I might just leave it at that and move on swiftly. Um now PJ, um we are of course, if anyone's joined us uh, here uh, they might be wondering what the hell we're talking about and i would say to them why did you start at this episode why didn't you start at the start of the series but we are of course right in the middle of jla wildcats yes the crossover to end all crossovers the crossover nobody asked for now you say that pj but i know i know you're i know you're reading this digitally uh whereas i'm reading it uh, in a lovely slightly slightly moth-eared trade paperback and it occurred to me that you you probably don't have the benefit of being able to see the back cover. Um, I, I don't believe I do. Let me just see if that is on Comixology. Uh, no, no back cover. This is, well, to, to describe it to you, this is another cover, which I believe I could have made <laughs> in, uh, in Photoshop. Um, it is uh, basically, uh, imagine two... Uh, long vertical arrows running down the sides of the comic uh, pointing down and floating over those uh, arrows you have little headshots of each of the main characters which I believe have been possibly possibly cut from the book itself Mm -hmm. with their names underneath them so we have on the left Superman, Batman Wonder Woman, Flash, and Green Lantern, like whoever the hell they are. And then on the other side, we have, you know, uh, beloved by children the world over, um, Saturday morning cartoons, serial, you know, T-shirts. We have Majestic, Grifter, Zealot, Void, and Maul. Is it you know. the same the same arrows and headshots as from the double-page spread at the beginning of the issue, like page five or so? Oh my god, PJ, you're right. Hang on, let me scroll. Let me scroll back. Let me scroll back. Oh, look at that! Look at that. You know what, PJ? They, you're right. Yes. However, there is a slightly different color gradient on them. Oh. <laughs> yes, you see, and every character is on a white background. You see? Yeah. I mean, I have oh. nothing to say to this. <laughs> okay. Well, the reason I bring it up is. Uh, Beyond that kind of wonderful, you know, design, we simply have in the most glorious 90s font going down the middle of the page, can these 10 people stop Epoch, comma, Lord of Time, comma, from annihilating two universes, question mark. And the reason I said it like that is because the spacing of the font and the lines is really weird (laughs) and they're all kind of overlapping each other. And then at the bottom, it goes, what do you think? And you is both uh, bigger and in italics and in a different font color. Now, PJ, has that warmed your heart? Well, it's made me feel like this should be a game book and I'd be up for that. <laughs> it also There is also a sick lens flare. <laughs> Sorry, a what the... lens flare? 
There's a length. Yeah, there is a lens flare. No, no, that's not what oh. you said, John. What did I say? You said a sick lens flare. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, most most lens flares are, but <laughs> this was what what year was it? 97, I want to say. Yeah, September 97. So, yeah, I think it was sick or possibly bodacious. I, I radical. Um radical radical. It was radical. So, there is a radical lens flare behind the W. So, I, I think that confirms it. This is the greatest crossover ever look, made. Look, you know what? I, I admit a lot of my uh, negativity towards the Wildcats. I am playing up for the entertainment value. <laughs> shh, PJ, shh. <laughs> this isn't entertaining. But, no, it's educational. But um, it's it's very 90s, and I don't mean that in a good way, and a grifter's mask is stupid. Well... We'll we'll just have to agree that I'm to, right to to accept that some people have idiotic opinions, and yet we still have to work together. <laughs> um, oh God, po- it had a good run. The podcast didn't it? It had a it had a good run, and then we slowly lost our minds. Um, maybe it was somewhere when Superman threw the first punch. But uh, <laughs> that, yes, well, do you want to do we want to recap what what's happened um, that's brought us to this point? You well. My version of a recap would be thus. It starts with a pretty good JLA story, where Epoch is travelling back in time to try and change history and stop the JLA from existing, I guess, and he wants to take over the universe, and there's a bit of fun time travel romp. The JLA have captured one of his craft and are using that to follow him through time. It's all very, very good, actually, that bit. And then somehow, for some reason, I can't remember why, they cross over into the Wildcats universe and everything just goes downhill a bit. Uh, y- uh, yes. So, um, there's, I was going to try and give some context to the Wildcats universe, but I'll be honest with you, it's a little hard to The Wildcats are fighting down. some things and then they think the JLA are also with these things and then there's fighting, but Grifter just sits down, which I, I did like actually. And then they stop fighting and go, Hey, let's team up. That's basically it. I, I, I guess the problem is that the story has so far spent so much time with the JLA yeah. that the Wildcats have kind of been shortchanged. And they honestly, I don't know if that's kind of because at this point in Wildcats history, there wasn't a massive amount going on there. I'm sorry, Wildcats fans. It was just a bit, they were just edgy. Like they, that was basically it. They, they, they just did things in a, a radical way. And, Maybe there were some interesting character designs, but they weren't especially original. Now, in time, more interesting stuff would be done with them. Uh, I would say in particular that, uh, oh, I hope I get this right, Joe Casey and Dustin Nguyen. I hope, I do apologize. I hope I'm pronouncing the surname right. Their amazing run on Wildcats version 3.0 was astonishing. Um, This is not that. They are basically just kind of shouty angry superheroes at this point yeah and i can fully accept that later runs with them because i haven't read any so that i can more than (laughs) more than believe that writers would come in later and do really good things with these characters i have yet to see it in this book (laughs) i think that's yeah and I, i have to agree with you like if if all you had was this to go on I don't think you'd even really consider that the Wildcats were worth doing anything interesting with. <laughs> like, it's like, you know, oh, anything can be made good. Anything can be kind of like revitalized. But 
I guess there was really something there because I know I know the series was liked, but I think it it kind of was style over substance for a very long time. I mean, that was the nineties, though, wasn't it? There was a there was a lot of that, and and not a lot of there wasn't a lot of substance in nineties comics for a good number of years. I would argue. Um, yeah, it was. Well, I mean, just very flashy. This is why one of the reasons why I feel like um, Rob Liefeld became such a big name because technically. Yeah, all right, his art is quite poor, fairly, I don't want to use the word ugly, but I do kind of want to use the word ugly, but it was so damn dynamic. Mm. It there was it was very flashy, very in-your-face, very dynamic, and for the time and what was happening in comics, it kind of worked. Yeah, it was definitely, I mean, say what you will, it was it was definitely a statement, and I guess we kind of like, we it's become a bit of a, cliche like that kind of 90s look if you know what i mean like the the way that superhero characters looked at that time but i guess every era is eventually kind of parodied like i guess every style eventually becomes a bit ridiculous but there must have been something in it because i well i I guess there must be something in it because i like it but (laughs) um there must there must be like a little gem in there, as I think is probably in most things, even in the worst stuff. Because like, I do hold a real soft spot for that nineties, uh, extreme edge. I I really love the bizarre nineties anatomy. Yes. Where, I, admittedly, I mean, you look at issues of, um, say, Young Blood, which was some of the just honestly some of the worst offenders. Where like. As you say, yeah, it was dynamic and striking, but people barely looked like humans. You know, like every every woman had like this tiny kind of like pencil thin waist, and every guy just had like the, a, a neck as, as well as wide as their chest. Like it was astonishing. Yeah, the, um, uh, the heroes reborn version of the Avengers is the worst offender of that for me. Yeah. Oh God, that's the infamous um, Cap with his kind of like his his. Um, He's got like a real barrel chest, doesn't he? Like his his pecs go out like a foot. Yeah, and funnily enough, I saw like um, someone on Twitter broke that image down uh, since we recorded our last episode and, and said, look, they think Liefeld was basing this off um, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Pumping Iron right. about professional bodybuilders because there are still images from that of bodybuilders posing and their chests look do have that sort of angle and that that width but that's because of the way they've got their arms held as well and the way they're posing yeah and Liefeld looked at it and had no understanding of human anatomy so just thought that's how their chests were without realizing it's because of the way their arms are flexing and, and moving and then he, he kind of ends up looking like he's retaining water. exactly like in a way he's got a really bad case of oedema because it's like my god man <laughs> um it is it is interesting though because I, I think the, the best case you could make for it is that if superheroes were real, there's always these like different schools of thought, isn't it? It's like one, if superheroes were real, how would you do it in a realistic way? So then you get like uh, Batman Begins, uh, The Dark Knight. Uh, to some extent, the um, you know the Marvel movies, you know, they're, they're, they are kind of grounded, you know, certainly at the start, very much so, yeah. But then the other the other school of thought would be if a superhero literally stepped off or out of the page or 
stepped out of a portal and it turns out, PJ, it's all real. All comics are real. They're just happening in a parallel universe. Like a superhero unbound in real life, not constricted by our boring physics. Might look like Rob Liefeld's Captain America. Like, I, it would be larger than life. I feel like the... the it's weird, because they're terrible films, but the best version of that, in terms of looking just like they do on the page, is the Ben Affleck Batman from the Zack Snyder movies. He looks like a Frank Miller drawing. Um, that is... Yeah, God, I, 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 I do confess, I haven't seen them... I mean, they're they're not good. Batman vs Superman is terrible. Justice League is marginally better, but still not good. Um, but but Batman's costume, the way he looks, uh, is it, it's the aesthetic on Batman is really good. Here's a question though: where, going massively off topic, where do you stand on Batman wearing armor? Uh, Just in general, that he probably does. But would he, do you think, because I'd always assumed, like, in the comics, when Batman always appears as though he's wearing, maybe not lycra, but some kind of form-fitting material. Um, I think there's, like, um, during Grant Morrison's run on Batman, he occasionally takes damage to his costume, and it suggests that even though it might look like spandex, you know, where you can see basically every muscle, every rib, uh, there is kind of like padding and armor built into it in a way, but like a kind of f- more softer, fabricy kind of armor. Yeah, I think that's what they they do with Affleck in in those movies as well. It's it's very much. It looks like it's it's either the spandex is being worn over a bodysuit with armor, um, or it's sort of more an armored material type thing. Um, like I think I think it gets weird when you look at the Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher Batman movies when he is wearing rubber armor, but they've sculpted it to look like a like a per- like my favorite from that era is the costume from Batman Returns because that doesn't look like they've sculpted it as an actual chest. It's a bit more stylized. Yeah, I I, I got to say like I I I I understand why they did it at the time, but I I always thought the kind of like tim burton rubber batman suit was a was a bit of a weird direction because like i get okay it has to look a certain way on screen it's not meant to be realistic but if you see people at a convention wearing like a, a rubber batman wongsy which you can kind of just buy yeah like I, i've seen a man at manchester mcm wearing a full body Tim Burton rubber Batman Wongsy in a heatwave. And there was like like an open tap of sweat just pouring out of the mouthpiece. Like it must just be the least maneuverable and most uncomfortable thing imaginable. Well they couldn't turn the actors who played Batman couldn't turn their heads in the outfit. If you particularly noticeable in uh, the Keaton movies he the, he does the Batman turn where he needs to turn to look at something <laughs> his entire body turns to look at it I don't think they managed to get a suit where he could turn his head until the second Christian Bale movie until the Dark Knight but that's what I find incredible it's like because I'm not a uh, a fabric technician like I I yeah like you know when the Spider-Man the very first Spider-Man movie the Sam Raimi mm. one came around 
his suit had that weird kind of like basketball kind of texture yeah. to it. Yeah. Like it, it was kind of bobbly. And I and then they put the web over like the spandex. And I kind of got the impression they were doing that to give it a bit of give it a bit of definition, give it a bit of shape because when a super, when a real life person just kind of wears like a spandex wongsy, it doesn't look great, even if that person is in incredible shape. Mm. Like uh, I, I think of something like um, uh, Captain America from the first Avengers movie. Like it looks a little bit like he's wearing pajamas. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then they started. Then they seem to eventually find like the ideal fabric to make their costumes out of, and they were a bit more. Uh, like taking a, a leaf out of like the ultimates they were a bit more kind of military grade fabric sort of thing so i do find it amazing that they couldn't they even when we did batman begins they couldn't find a material to make the cowl out of which couldn't flex a little bit yeah like it's so strange i think more recent marvel movies are the ones that have really nailed it i think spider-man's costume in the mcu uh captain marvel as well I think the mm. ones where they've really sort of nailed the it's not quite the spandex from the comic, but it's it's it looks close enough to being what was in the comic while still being a slightly different material that it it's a nice mesh between the two. Yeah, and I Yeah. And I think that's it because in my head I'm always like there's that little part of my brain which always finds myself because I hate I I hate being uncomfortable. Like this, that's, I mean, nobody likes being uncomfortable, but like, I, I feel hypersensitive if I'm wearing like a, an itchy shirt or you know, wearing a, a suit where the collar's a bit too tight or something. Like that just makes yeah. me, ugh, it makes me cringe. So when I think of poor Bruce Wayne having to fight crime, protect the innocent, save the heart and soul of Gotham, while wearing a rubber Wongsy. Like, I really feel for him. I'm like, oh no, Bruce, you poor soul. It's, you know? uh, it's the Christian Bale version where in, in Batman Begins, because he can't turn his head, that version of Batman at times is given some real good side eye. <laughs> it's it's like the um, the Power Rangers school of like body language, isn't it? <laughs> where that you had to nod constantly just to kind of... And a big or, exaggerated or... nod. Yeah, or like, I just say, like, keep swinging your head <laughs> to the left and, left and right to see what was going on. But I think, like, after Iron Man, everyone went a little bit kind of armor crazy. Yes. And I know, I know, like, some of the later Batman games, I think, like, Arkham Knight, uh, he's basically wearing an Iron Man costume. Like, his entire suit, the Batman suit, is, like, is metal, yeah. basically. Yeah. And it's like, I never really got on board with that. I'm like, Batman's about stealth. <laughs> He'd be clanking. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you as well. At our time of recording, that's the only one of those three games I haven't finished. I finished mm. Asylum and City, but I haven't finished Arkham Knight. I've got it. I've, I've played it, but I've just never got around to finishing it. I actually loved uh, City. Like, I know Arkham Asylum was like the... Uh, yeah. I mean, I know City was a bit kind of like, you know, that had like 4,000 Riddler trophies to kind of find. Like, there was a lot of Oh, I didn't padding. do that. I just finished the story. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but I loved it. I was like, that felt like a really good yeah. version of Batman. Like, it felt like... Because as, as much as I like the Nolan movies, they were very like, no, this is real. Yeah. You know, there's there's no... Nothing fantastical or stupid. And I don't know, I thought the games 
certainly the first two struck like a really good balance in the oh this feels like living in a comic book world yes yeah i would agree i think asylum i think is the one that best captures the batman of the comics um and then city i think does a good job of sort of balancing that with some aspects of the movies coming in and uh and yeah then night i don't really know what i think if i'm honest that's when you did there was a big emphasis on driving around yeah in this the, is the I, tank too much of. reliance on the batmobile in that game for my liking I'd, I'd like it if it was sort of a the odd section but it's just you have to use it so much and it's not ideal to control. I don't know. Well, PJ, I, I'm I'm so sorry for taking us off off you know our number one topic, which is the Wildcats and 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 shoehorning Batman into this podcast. Um, but should we should we get back into the issue? Uh, we shall. So I believe where we left off, there was just a big fight happening. Yeah, uh, kind of one of those like classic two superhero teams meet. There's a big misunderstanding. They fight for a bit, and then they make up. Yeah. And yeah, and then the two teams just just basically annihilate a whole bunch of wacky supervillain kind of types. Yeah, I mean, you say that. The splash page we left it on was mostly the JLA beating these things up, and then <laughs> the Wildcats are very small in the background, just opposing. Oh god, it's it's undeniable, isn't it, PJ? Like this is this is a JLA comic yes. featuring the Wildcats. Yes. Um. But I guess to try and redress the balance, uh, we now, while the JLA are basically doing most of the heavy lifting, we cut to uh, Majestic and Void kind of floating above the fight and having a little chat, basically. Yeah, and trying to work out if yeah. they can trust the JLA. Um, Majestic says their theory about parallel time streams <laughs> is insane. Yeah, Majestic just basically comes across as a bit of a well, a bit of a reactionary jerk, for lack of a better word. Yes. But, um, yeah, so it's basically like, oh, the classic parallel universes, parallel timelines or whatever. Um, doesn't really matter if the Wildcats believe it or not. Void seems to think that they need to sort it out. Otherwise, this chaos which is affecting their world will continue, basically. What, what I do like on this on this page is how Majestic says that the uh, it's it's an insane theory. It's just ridiculous. And Void says, basically, it is insane, but it also explains everything. <laughs> Again, maybe the JLA have just had more experience of this, but like in a universe where people can spontaneously gain superpowers due to fluctuations in the quantum foam... Uh, where two warring alien races are battling on Earth, where people can alter reality. It's like, how, why wouldn't you accept the possibility that there is a time-traveling maniac? Like, it becomes insane to not believe these things. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like when you get in, in a comic where aliens appear and go, there are aliens? And it's like, that dude can fly. Why is aliens a stretch <laughs> for you? Or vampires show up. No, vampires aren't real. I distinctly remember a Spider-Man comic where Spider-Man's like, vampires aren't real. And I'm like, you met them in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, for crying out loud. Like, you're friends with mutants. And, an, and like, you have an alien god yeah. on, like, speed dial. For crying out loud. Reality changes every three minutes, Spider-Man. <laughs> um, but, yeah, basically, um, they just say, look, okay, well, we've got to... We have to trust them. And... Uh, I guess the only little uh, kind of glimpse towards the, the wider kind of 
I guess at the time, the image universe, or the which eventually became the Wild Storm universe, is Void going, well, who else can we trust? Uh, Stormwatch? Question mark. IO? Question mark. Now, I know who Stormwatch are. I have absolutely no idea what IO is referring to. IO are international operations. Um, I guess IO sounds sexier, perhaps. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're like a clandestine uh, spy um, superhero-y kind of... I don't know a lot about IO, if I'm honest. <laughs> like They got more of a light shone on them in the latest reboot of the wild storm universe but i don't think there was i don't think they ever had their own ongoing series i think they just got kind of referenced in other stuff are they sort of like um the wild storms version of shield yeah basically maybe a bit more outright malevolent just because it was the 90s but yeah okay like you're, you you used to get the feeling that nick fury always had your back basically like I think John Lynch was the leader of IO and he over oh god why do I know this he oversaw the project which gave Grifter superpowers back when he was on a spy team called Team 7 did he give Grifter his stupid mask N no that was an a Grifter's stupid mask was uh, entirely his own creation just so I know who to blame because he's a genius and perfect. Uh, because Grifter has massive superpowers which he never uses because they, they hurt his brain, basically. Okay. Yeah, true story. Yeah. Grifter has, apparently has massive psychic abilities, but uh, he never uses them. So instead, he just uses guns. Well, why not? Um, yeah, so there we go. That's, that's probably everything you ever needed to know about IO. But... Um, I'll, I'll have yeah. forgotten it by the time we turn the page. <laughs> and nothing of value will have been lost, honestly. <laughs> uh, but Void basically says, well, you know, theoretically it should be possible for us to also cross over into the JLA's um, time wave. And if we don't, then two universes will die. That's that's it, basically. Yep. That's kind of where we are. Um, yeah, and Majestic goes, it's agreed then. Um we will cross over into the JLA's universe and uh, we will defeat Epoch together. And then something about uh, he's rejoining the Wildcats as the team leader for the duration of the crisis. Um, oh, I'm stumped, PJ. I have no idea. I, uh, no, it's not It's not even that. It's just it's pretty ineffectual as a leader is, is my thinking so far. Um, because he turns up, says, right, I'm going to lead the Wildcats. We're going to help. And Superman's gone, yeah, we've talked and we've got a plan. So... We're good. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's about it. So, like, they, if we're breezing over this, it's because there isn't a massive amount to say, really. It's just the classic kind of let's work together kind of thing. So, I do like a moment where um, Green Lantern sort of throws some shade uh, as they're, they're basically flying off to, well, their plan seems to be pool our resources. Uh, and then Superman, Majestic, and uh, Green Lantern fly off as Superman says, Green Lantern, I hope your stomach's up to this. And Green Lantern says, hey, I'd do anything to get us off this dump. And Majestic doesn't like that. Yeah, they do that. He's got um, icicles hanging off his um, his speech bubble, which, which you don't see very no, often. No, you don't. It's a lovely little way of, of just of getting across that this person is gritting their teeth and doesn't like what they've just heard. It is. Yeah, God, I'm entirely with you, PJ. I'm now looking at that thinking, 
I need to use the icicle effect in something. I don't think I ever have. Like, that is... That's over... Oh, no, underrated. Underrated is what I was going to say. Um, it's also a nice little moment where um, Flash and Void are kind of um, bonding, yeah. I guess, because Wally's like a fairly nice guy and he's just impressed by how, even though he can move at the speed of, like, hyperlight, um, he's still impressed by how Void can teleport, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we cut to the Halo building, which is, uh, as you'll know, PJ, is the uh, is run and the headquarters of Jacob Marlowe, who was... <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought you were about to say Jacob Marley. N- no, no, J- Jacob Marlowe. Oh God, I hope I got that right. Yeah, Jacob Marlowe, who is the um, uh, um, benefactor of the Wildcats. Is he dead? And is he going to turn up as a ghost and, and tell Majestic that there are, he's going to be visited by three ghosts this coming Christmas Eve? <laughs> the ghosts of Spandex Mask. <laughs> I mean, he is... Uh, well, no, well, no, PJ. I know you're being facetious. I am! But, uh, uh, <laughs> but um, no, Jacob Marlowe is actually, in reality, a Kieran High Lord. So think about that. A Kieran yeah. Gillen High Lord. A Kieran Gillen High Lord. Got it. Uh, so yeah, so in the Halo building, uh, they've been able to open a portal to Void Space, which is basically the weird kind of nether realm that Void draws her powers from. And which they've cu- they've sort of this image where they open the portal, I quite like. It's it's a very nineties sort of fractal pattern with a, a hint of magic eye to it. Hmm. The kind of thing that can only be done with a computer and then dropped into the artwork. Yeah. Um, did you, do you remember like around the millennium, there was a Superman story where he was battling Brainiac again and they tried something unusual with the artwork where the particular version of Brainiac he was fighting was an entirely CGI drawing that does ring a bell. Which was dropped on top of the uh, hand-drawn artwork. Does that ring a bell? It does ring a vague bell, yeah. I don't, I don't remember liking it. This is the point in time at which um, Photoshop was suddenly becoming widely available and everyone went drunk with power. <laughs> Hence the, uh, the amount of sick lens flares you get in the uh, incidental kind of text pages in this graphic novel I'm holding. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, I mean, I'm all right with it being used for this sort of portal thing, but sorry, I'm just thinking about that Brainiac image now. And, it's astonishing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's seared into my eyelids. Um, but yeah, so um, you cut from, I guess, a weird kind of digital portal effect to a, I guess, more of like a Jack Kirby negative zone kind of realm of unreality for me this is more reminiscent of the sort of artwork um steve ditko would have done for the doctor strange uh when he traveled to other universes and other planes of existence it's a very psychedelic trippy effect um very ditko yeah yeah it's it's mad and like at, at this point in time i believe i think i want to say the void space kind of everything about void and where she got her powers from it was just a miscellaneous nether realm kind of thing it was just like another dimension 
I think in later interpretations, it was woven into the bleed, which yeah, the the kind of like the red energy kind of barrier or realm between universes, which I know originally started out in the Wildstorm universe, but I think uh, DC have now incorporated into their multiverse. Okay. I think, yeah, if you think of like um, multiversity or um, Final Crisis, which I know you're a big I try not of. to think about Final Crisis, John. Don't, don't make me do it. But when Super... Okay, PJ, I'm going to force you to think about it. Uh, in that little mini story, that Superman mini two-part mini story in the middle of Final Crisis, oh, the, which is the, the best... The good bit of Final Crisis. The good bit of Final Crisis, yeah. The best bit about Final Crisis. When Superman goes into the multiverse with the Supermen from other universes, he uh, um, they briefly pass through the bleed, which is like this red, shimmery kind of hinterland between universes. Well, okay then. There you go. There's also a point. There's also a point in that Superman story where can't remember her name, but the Monitor who has assembled the team of Supermen says, "I could have selected any number of potential Superman analogs to join this team. I could have picked Majestic, hmm. but I didn't, and he, he picked Captain Marvel instead." Ah, oh, well, the, the the DC Captain. Marvel. Yeah, I, I prefer Captain Marvel. Yes. Which, of course, you know, and I know, and we know some of our listeners will know, but... Oh, that's a can of worms for another day. Sorry, PJ. <laughs> and I think what, we are going to have to get to it at some point as well, but um, not today. Well, PJ, sorry, what is happening in Void Space? I don't really know. Um, <laughs> Green Lantern and Void are there, and Green Lantern is as confused as I am. Um, Void basically explains that they're in transdimensional space. You may experience some nausea. And if you try to understand your surroundings in three-dimensional terms, this isn't a place. This is everywhere that isn't a place. What is happening, John? Um, well, I'd like to say that this was all explained in some page of Wildcats. It might... I, honestly, I, I'm none the wiser, really, other than I think Grant Morrison is, is wringing what fun he can out of this. There's not a lot to be found here, but he, he's looking... Um, but basically, there are like a ton of these kind of like silver, like mer- flowing mercury kind of droplet things kind of swimming around. And Voig suggests that they're kind of like their own entities. Uh, they're like the beings which live in this realm. And there's basically like a massive crack running through this realm, which is meant to be the broken timeline. Yeah, the thing which the thing which has essentially created both the JLA's universe and the Wildcats universe. Yeah, she does say that she fused with one of those things, and that's how she becomes Void. I guess this also has some rather terrifying implications for the Wildcat universe because it kind of suggests that it only exists because Epoch created that dark nova event back in prehistoric times which altered the timeline at some point like i know the, i know the wildcats did not always exist but it does kind of, it does kind of suggest that their entire universe was the weird side effect of a random jla story yeah um there's the 
they're trying to explain how the, mach- the time machine brings the JLA to the Wild Storm universe, and they do say um, two parallel waves, two separate histories have been created, and the machine just took them to the wrong one. The it's basically the trousers of time theory <laughs> from Discworld, and the JLA have, due to a split in the timeline, have ended up in the wrong trouser leg, basically. And oh god, I, I know we talked in a previous episode about like the general continuity of crossovers and whether they are maintained or uh, just ignored, but like I think the Wildstorm universe has now been woven into the new DC multiverse. So theoretically, Kyle, our good friend Kyle Rayner, could now, in current day DC, probably travel to the Wildstorm universe, which is like Earth 48 or something like that, and meet these characters again. Only now they're separate universes, not just a break in the timeline. And presumably neither team, because both have been rebooted several times since this happened, would remember the other. Oh my god. Yeah. Or there'd be like one character who does, and it's like, what the hell? Well, yeah, it's like, like the um, there was a recent Usagi Ojimbo Ninja Turtles crossover where Usagi Ojimbo remembered the turtles because he's met them before, but they were different versions of the turtles that had never met him. Because <laughs> right. the current wow. IDW run on Turtles is a, is all new stories, a complete reboot. But Usagi Ujembo has never rebooted, so it, yeah, it's weird. Mad, right? Kids, don't 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 do crossovers. Like staying school, like they are, they 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 will just rot your brain. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically, uh, yeah. So with the trousers of time, uh, being explained to Kyle, um. Void basically says that these weird little metallic dukes are saying uh, they will open a portal to allow us to travel to the JLA's universe, but they want something in return. They want something from Kyle. Uh, They basically want his creativity. Yeah, well, she says to him, can you make your thoughts manifest? So he just creates some random things. Like he seemed a weird vice type device <laughs> a, a pointy diamond cup with a egg cup in it and a uh, toy wind up monkey playing cymbals and apparently they love this stuff they're like yes that's what we wanted yes <laughs> the thing is i kind of like i do worry that if say like aliens ever abduct me <laughs> me of all people as like the re- you know it's like they pick one random human being and they're like you, John Locke, will be the spokesperson for humanity. Like, we will destroy you if you cannot... We, we need you to bring the best that humanity can offer. What's the greatest that culture can offer? And they go, draw something. And I'm like, shit. <laughs> like, I feel Kyle is a very talented artist, but I feel what he produces is basically what I would produce is, is that, with, with a gun to my head. It's that on-the-spot thing, isn't it? You go to an artist and say, draw something. The artist inevitably replies, well, what should I draw? And if you reply with, I don't know, they're like, what? I, just, also, if you, do, like, if you do get abducted by aliens, please plug the podcast to them and let's increase our audience. <laughs> yes, oh my God. Because... Uh, yeah, well, maybe, or maybe if they did abduct me right now, I would just give them this lovely trade paperback of JLA. Do Wildcats. not do that. <laughs> At <laughs> least give them New World Order. 
Oh my god, they're coming for us. Um, But yeah, but Kyle has done some doodling and the little creatures love it. And he's about to throw up. So he says, can we leave? And yeah, we we cut back to Superman giving, I guess, a nice bit of exposition, I suppose. I mean, he's basically expositioning what we've just had expositioned to us saying hey so the dark nova created a fracture and two divergent we know that we've just been told that on the page before come on superman get with it um yeah and wally's like yeah get to the point superman we know what's going on um but also you know it linda is back in my home universe so like you know, if I have to save the universe here, I will, but I'd rather get back. And yeah, I, I mean, I guess Kyle and Wally's relationship is a little better here, which just makes it even harder to work out where the hell the story <laughs> falls, because I think in a regular series, they're still at loggerheads. Uh, but yeah, so Wally just kind of like steadies Green Lantern, who has a massive case of vertigo after being in that weird nether space and i do like kyle's line here any weird chrome guys try to offer you a good time just say no um god i was gonna say is there anything more to say but basically the the two teams are like okay let's do it let's let's go for it um we've got a we can we can install the technology within an hour um right I, i think the the only interesting thing i would possibly say is that the we I guess have a little cutaway. Yeah, tell to... tell me about this panel at the bottom of the page, John, because I don't know who any of those people are. I'll be honest with you, PJ. The first maybe fifteen times I read this book, I had no idea who these characters were either. Um, it's only because I've since read the Stormwatch, the original Stormwatch series, which is very good. Um, but I believe we are looking at uh, some of the core members of Stormwatch, which, of course. Uh, is the United Nations kind of superhero team in this universe. And I think we are looking at... Oh, God help me. I think we're looking at Flint, Fuji, and... Oh, no. I know. I can remember the real-life name of the guy in front. It's Jackson King. I just can't remember his superhero name. Um, but basically we're looking at the guy on the far left, PJ, let's put it this way. He's basically Bishop. Okay. So you hit him with energy. He can absorb it and and shoot it back at you. Uh, the lady who is flying and on fire, well, she can fly and generate fire. Okay. (laughs) Um, Jackson King at the front, uh, has psychic abilities. Uh, and Fuji is a, he's Kind of like, it's hard to describe, he's a Japanese superhero. He's like big and strong, so he's like a big hulking guy, but he's actually kind of like made of energy, so like his suit is almost like a kind of containment thing. Oh, okay. I want to say, question mark? Well, I don't care. I've turned the page. They're not appearing again. Uh... Uh... But yeah, PJ, what's <laughs> happening? What's happening back in the main plot? Um, well, that that's uh, that's what Kyle asks as well. He has no idea. Um, basically, Void is punching a hole through Void space, a bridge to the JLA's universe. So, 
the the little chrome creature things are allowing them to use their universe as a uh, a way to get between universes. It's all very strange. And then we get almost a replay of the panel from the first half of the issue where the JLA travelled between universes, but without the interesting faces being warped. It's literally just the time cube with the... Which, yeah, you kind of liked this effect the first time around, didn't you? Like one word being kind of stretched across the entire page. Yeah, because Superman starts saying, let's pray a few hours is all we need, and then the E sort of stretches through to the bottom of the page in the final panel, and he finishes the word Eed. But the first time you did it, you focused on the League, and you had them being distorted and, and reacting to the time travel. This time you just get the cube, and it's not as interesting. The only thing I kind of like about it is how when the time cube teleports back to the JLA's universe, it kind of just manifests half in, half out of the middle of a skyscraper. Yes. I would say that's the only thing I like about it. Or no, it's not terrible, but I say that I think that's a nice little thing that like there's no guarantee it wouldn't manifest inside a solid object. Yeah, and there also suddenly appear to be like some spaceships flying around shooting at each other, and Superman is very quick to just he's right on it. He's he assumes Epoch's had time to do some damage. Uh which yes he has. Uh yeah, and we get a great big splash of basically it could be Metropolis. Maybe it is Metropolis, but the city... Oh, yeah, it is Metropolis. I can see the Daily Planet. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, the city is just being destroyed by giant robots, uh, giant brains in jars on tripods, um, a, a weird kind of like eight-legged, maybe dinosaur-esque robot. Um, floating spaceship, eyeball thing. Spaceship, saucers. It's just absolute chaos, basically. Yeah, so and, ba- yeah. Batman basically says, okay, we, we're just going to have to take Epoch. Let's get him. Let's get him. Hard and fast. And, uh, yeah, and then we cut to our man Epoch. And it's, I've got to say, it's a gloriously weird image. I do like this, yeah. He is now, basically, all that remains is his human face. And... The rest of him is kind of like embedded in this bizarre machine, which doesn't really even look like a machine. It's like made of crystals, and then there's like a big, almost like a brain-like structure coming out the top of his head, and then there's cables everywhere, and kind of like um, a celestial from the Marvel. There's yeah. like Marvel. It's like. Um, the, the metal has like these red kind of veins and pipes running over it. It's a really, really weird look. Uh, and the reason he looks this way is because he's been here five days since casting the JLA out. And he is bonded with the ultimate weapon of the 68th century. A self-evolving supercomputer slash big bang bomb. The Doomsday Brain, the Omega Attractor, which is maybe the best wrestler intro <laughs> I have ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming the Big Bang Bomb is, is something that starts a universe rather than just makes a loud noise. Yeah, um, I have to say, like this is this is kind of one of my problems with time travel stories. Because I'm a big fan of Kang the Conqueror. 
he might be one of my favorite superhero villains ever. Mm. Like, just got a real soft spot for him. And yet, if you ever have, like, a time travel story where, like, a guy is invading you from the future, maybe, which is basically what's happening here, it always just evolves into, if you're a time traveler, presumably you can go far enough into the future where, yes, you will basically just find the ultimate weapon and then bring it back. So this is less a time travel story and more... I've got a really big gun from the future. Yes, story. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's weird because the way he's drawn as being integrated into this weapon is is really well done. It looks amazing, but then when you think about it, it's just yeah, big gun. And it's kind of disappointing that because the story with the starts so well with the JLA time hopping and all the different the the bit where they're in like prehistory and they're trying to find a time travel device and they find like twenty. And things like that are really are so much fun. And then you get to this and it's just that he's, he, yep, he's bonded with a big weapon. That's it. But also it kind of suggests that if, how many people throughout the course of history will develop time travel? Like in a superhero universe, mm. like it will happen many times. So is there like a queue in the future? <sighs> like every time traveler, because it's like, yeah, like the point they always say, like if time travel were possible, moments in important moments would become crowded <laughs> because you'd have an exponential number of people trying to, you know, time travel back to one particular day. I imagine like a bunch of time travelers are all just waiting in the far, far future for their turn to use the ultimate computer to invade the 20th century it's like everyone gets a shot i mean you you say you say that that that's how it would happen and maybe that's how it did happen not a single person that went to live aid was from 1985 john all time travelers <laughs> all time travelers maybe so maybe so but would explain some of the fashion choices <laughs> um one thing i would say is i think grand morrison is having a lot of fun here yes uh he used to he used to get it in a lot of his comics where you'd have a character Kind of like describing something nearly impossible. Like we're getting, we're like privy to Epoch's thoughts at the moment. So we're kind of like, you just get these bizarre poetic sentences about just all the nonsense he's kind of like unleashing upon the world. Like, I do like it when he says, now he can't tell. So yeah, he's merged with the Omega Attractor and he goes, now he can't tell where he ends and it begins. Everything is the Omega Attractor. His thoughts are enormous now. I like that. Yeah, and then it does go into the different things he's pulling from different times to basically attack this time and ensure he has control. And it's interesting moment, I think. Uh, 28th century macro suits prowl the Pacific Rim. I wonder if Guillermo del Toro read this comic. But it's I, I I say stranger things have probably yeah. happened. I mean, we've also got gargoyle troops from a 98th century Gothic Imperium. Um, I guess what does what I find confusing is if you've bonded with the the ultimate weapon of the 68th century, why would you bother to recruit macro suits from the 28th century? Because they look Sh cool. But surely they'd be like. That's like me going, I'm going to conquer, I'm going to conquer the Earth, but I'm going to recruit um, a Neanderthal. 
to to come join well, me. Well, no, it's not because he's got the Omega Attractor from the 68th century. He's got the macro suits from the 28th century, but he's conquering the 20th century. So it would be more like you going back to conquer the dinosaurs and taking a Spitfire. Okay, okay, (laughs) yeah. Maybe you're right. Maybe like there's a certain, even though you've got a more sophisticated one, there's like a certain nostalgia to it. Yeah. He's like, he's he's always really wanted to have a 28th century macro suit. Who doesn't? Like, um, like if I had a time machine, I might go back and try to get hold of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fig, like action figures, because I never had those as a kid. Like, I might, I might just go and get like an original set or something. Um, but yeah, so basically, uh, he's he's basically God now. Yeah, like he's he's fused with, uh, he's basically the God Machine, a one man empire conquering eons, traversing gulfs of galactic space. Everything is under his control. Okay, so yeah, he did it. He won. Woo-hoo. That's it. That's the end. Basically. Yeah. So I guess we should stop reading, PJ. No, we should carry on. Because <gasps> well, we, we get a, now an image of a big robot bug thing standing on a car. Yeah, um, I mean, who knows what century this came from, but it, I guess it, after... It looks more advanced than <clears throat> the 28th century macro suits. I'm going that far. PJ, I wish you would stop hating on those 28th century macro suits. I love like... them, but this looks more advanced. <laughs> All I'm saying. You're, so, you're such a fair weather fan. You can't just keep moving on to the next sexy robot. Like, you know. I, I love James Bond's Aston Martin from Goldfinger, but his Aston Martin from Casino Royale is more advanced. Okay, okay. I, I, will, I will concede to that. But after all that kind of nonsense of god machines and whatnot, um... We get the human element. We get um, uh, we have a couple of people in an alleyway, and they're basically kind of like just recounting what's happened over the last five days or so. Yeah, and they're clearly terrified. Um, they've seen they've seen what these things can do. Some kind of riot control, hose them down with stuff. And and there's there's a it's. Epoch's been using a lot of different things from the sounds of things on humans to keep them under his control, to scare them and and make sure that they they don't try and rise up. And it seems to be working. Yeah, and weirdly enough, they're telling their story to two shadowy figures wearing heavy trench coats and hats in the shadows. Ninja Turtles? Shadowy. It, it could entirely... Oh my god, yes it could. It really could be. Look, or Ben Grimm. Or maybe. Ben Grimm, yeah. It's Ben Grimm and Donatello. It's Ben Grimm and Donatello. Calling it right now. Together at last. And uh, one of, and Ben Grimm goes uh, from the shadows, what happened to the superheroes? And apparently they were trapped on the moon because we see the moon, which is gigantic, and it has a massive like crystal prison around it. I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, no, that's what it looks like to me. Um, and then one of the uh, one of the the ladies says, "All those years, you just take it for granted. They'll be around to save you." And um, oh, look at that! Something has destroyed the big robot thing. Yes, and she says, "Like who could have done that?" And she turns to uh, Ben Grimm and Donatello and goes, "Who are you guys?" And 
the you know the these two kind of um shadowy figures go it's okay we just arrived everything's all right we're going to help uh again you know maybe a bit excessive detail there but a fog monster starts kind of rising up around them which is apparently one of the spies of epoch yeah and uh this terrifies the uh the 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 norms let's say the two normal humans um one of them is he'll know you've been plotting against him she shouts and she looks scared but what oh wait that's not ben Grimm or donatello <gasps> gasp it's superman and uh, i mean this raises more questions than it perhaps answers but we do get it's a classic superman ripping open his shirt to reveal the s but not that even s though, but but not that s because he is of course electric blue superman the best superman shut up i'll fight you <laughs> Uh, and yeah, he, he basically just rips off his trench coat and says, uh, let, uh, it doesn't matter. Tell everyone time's up. Bit of a Batman moment, but you know, where, where did Superman and Majestic get those hats and trench coats? Can we assume that if this is Metropolis, then Clark maybe has like a little stash of them lying around? I'll give you that one. It's it's very much of the classic kind of like 1940s Clark Kent yes. Superman kind of like this is Clark Kent reporting for the Daily Planet. Huzzah! Fifth, like 40, 43 skidoo kind of thing. Uh, and again, it, it does seem like a hell of a... We went to, we had to go to a lot of effort to put these damn trench coats on just to then rip them off It again. does seem a bit pointless. So they go and ask these two terrified women what's been happening when they probably don't need to. I could figure it out, you know, just by looking. And then yeah, they get attacked by fog and just rip the trench coats off. And it's 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 it feels like a really pointless moment. Just it, it shoehorned does. in so Morrison could have Superman ripping open the coat and revealing the, the new jagged electric S, which we've already been looking at for, what, 45 pages? It is so odd because going from like Batman saying a few pages earlier, like, you know, we hit hard, we hit fast, and and then presumably not hitting hard or that fast because Superman and Majestic are just kind of hanging out in an alleyway. Like, what have they been doing? Yeah. It's I don't I have no answers for you. And also I don't I don't I don't you know, this is perhaps a little um a little rude of me, but it does occur to me that one of Superman's eyes is ever so slightly, like maybe a little too, is pointing slightly the wrong way in the bottom panel. <laughs> That's maybe like a little cruel of me, but it, it it does kind of, I don't know, his eyes don't match up, I think. I mean, it's it's not fair to mock someone based on how they were born. No, I'm sorry, no. And, and you know, he's, he's an alien. Who knows? Who knows how it works? Um, but yeah, because... Really, as we move on to the next page, we probably could have cut out that entire three-page yeah. section. I'm wondering if maybe Morrison didn't have enough pages when he came to to the end and went, oh, I've got to put something in somewhere. I guess he really wanted to kind of explain a bit more about the world in, a, in an interesting way. And I, I guess it, it kind of does that. But, but to what end? Because, as you say, it's irrelevant. Like we're already moving on from it. Like we didn't really need to learn 
that. I mean, it's a cool moment when he rips open the trench coat, but is this the comic where it had it needed to be seen? Yeah, and yeah, as you say, you, we go to the next page, and it's just more of Epoch's controlling the world. It's more of the devices and armies he's got, and again, different things from the 63rd century, the 21st century. He's aware, his eyes are everywhere, his troops are on the march, nothing can stop them. Yeah, and, you know, frankly, we, we just get the double-page splash, which probably should have come a, a five pages ago. But, yeah, we just have the Wildcats and the JLA charging into battle now, together. at least this time, it is both teams. It's not the JLA with the Wildcats in the background. It is both teams. Grift has got a bike. Don't know where he got that. Batman's had time to go to Gotham and get his Batmobile. <laughs> yes. Or maybe he had Superman fly to gotham and pick it up and fly it back but yeah that that's probably right um i often i think i talked about this back in uh new world order but when you get these lovely kind of splash images of the entire team racing into battle at the same time um it really is just a moment in time because a millisecond later batman maul uh zealot and Grifter are all going to be left miles behind. Yes. Because everyone else has superhuman speed, flight, or teleportation. Well, what, what what amuses me about this panel is, I mean, the streak line coming from Superman, I do love, because it's like right from the corner of the page, and you can see exactly where he's come from. You've also got streak lines there behind Wonder Woman, behind Majestic and Flash, and Lantern's got his energy. There's even a little street line coming off Grifter's bike. Batman's Batmobile looks like it's it's just vibrating on the spot. <laughs> like it, it could actually be part. It's just breaking down. That's what's happening. The engine's gone. It's quite a nice image, it, uh, but it, it does actually just drive home to me how horrendously outclassed Grifter and Zealot are <laughs> to, to even be in this scene. Like, Maul, maybe, at a push, but like... Jeez, yeah. I'm so glad we went to another universe to recruit a lady with a sword and a guy with two guns. And a stupid mask. Hey, hey now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, the two teams are riding into battle. Like This is the moment we were all kind of waiting for. And yeah, I guess Grifter and Batman are having a conversation while in different vehicles. And... Um, yeah, Grifter's like, hang on a minute, aren't we going a little fast towards a massive wall? And Batman's like, uh, well, just pour on the speed. It won't be a wall for long. I mean, it might be. It might be a really big, really strong wall. I don't... Well, it's great as detective, and he's like, I'll just drive into it. That'll do. I think... Um, I think this is one of the things which maybe like annoyed Wildcats fans at the time when this story came out, is that the Wildcats are not only playing like second fig fiddle to the JLA, but like Grifter is very ineffectual in this story or kind of just being subservient to Batman. Yeah. Maybe deservingly, but <laughs> like, um, yeah, he's just kind of like asking Batman what to do, which is, I don't know, kind of just make you wonder why he's there, really. <laughs> well, we cut to Epoch and he's a uh, systems activate all anti-JLA codes operative. So he's got anti-JLA codes. Yes, and that's so important that it's in a big font 
It's bold and underlined. You know what? I like, don't know why more villains didn't think of installing anti-JLA codes. It just seems yeah. obvious. Like if it were that simple. Um, yeah, and, and basically, <laughs> uh, uh, Majestic and Superman are getting ready. Superman is absorbing uh, electrical potential from the clouds, so he's absolutely bursting with information. And he says that uh, a spectral analysis tells me that the perimeter wall is over 20 feet thick and composed of an advanced self-building material. Uh, he won't know what hit him. I do like and that the t- little panel of... of su- su- you feel the energy building in Superman. It's done really well. He's crackling with energy. And then, yeah, and the two of them just unleash like an absolutely a massive burst of their respective energies. I've got to say, like, Superman's blast does look kind of cool. It's, it's like, impressive. Yeah, it's... it's because look, if I were to draw a superhero blast, I'd basically do like a little ball around the hand and then a straight line. This has got definition. You mean like you know? what Majestic's doing? Uh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It just I don't know. We can't all be Cyclops. We can't all have a nice clean beam. Like sometimes you've got to mix it up a bit. But yeah, Superman here is just there's energy pouring out of his body. He's not firing it from his hands. It's just coming out of his chest, and it's immense. This was the absolute Wild West, because I imagine uh, Electric Blue Superman was very new to the world. And yeah, I guess artists and writers were like, how, how do we interpret this? I don't know. Let's just, let's just go wild, see what happens. For me, for that, that period of time where Superman was this energy being, it's Morrison who, who makes the most use and does the most interesting things with his powers. Oh, uh, uh, agreed. Like I don't, I don't have anything to base it on, but I definitely got the because I didn't read his his solo series, but I definitely got the opinion that Morrison loved having Electric Blue Superman on the team because yeah, he does some of the most like creative, inventive stuff, and I kind of always assumed that maybe he was just copying things which had already been done in the main superhero series, but no, it was probably like the first time he he'd done any of that stuff. There is, I think it's two or three issues time in the main JLA series we're going to get to, which where Superman has like two amazing moments in the space of oh one god. issue, and I can't wait. Oh my god! I, I, yeah, I'm getting excited. You, you know about exactly it, which moments I'm uh, talking yeah, about. Don't I, you? <laughs> it's astonishing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so all the all the various superheroes are teaming up with their respective counterpart from the other universe. So Flash and Void are desperately trying to teleport their way in or just get in somehow but there's electromagnetic disturbances which is stopping them but it's important that flash gets in earlier in the page we've actually we i think we missed it but we actually have batman saying flash has figured out how to stop epoch so flash is the one with the plan and flash is apparently the one they need to get to epoch yes apparently somehow uh and conveniently because every hero needs to play to their strengths uh, a group of ground troops turn up just so that Batman and Grifter have something to do. Yes. <laughs> oh, I should say, no, they are... Oh, well, they're zombies. Reani- yes, they're, they're zombies, which have been re- uh, reanimated and bonded with technology. Uh, so both Batman and Grifter can go absolutely hog wild without feeling guilty. And uh, yeah, Grifter does the points out what they are, unless I'm mistaken. Some future sicko got the idea to reanimate dead guys for his army, and then we get it. We get the Batman Double H, huh. <laughs> and then just a very brusque, "How good are you?" And Grifter's like, 
What? what? I'm Wolverine. Yeah. Um. Oh my, yeah. Yeah. Because let let's be honest. It was the nineties. He basically was Wolverine crossed with Gambit. Yeah. Uh, he's like, I'm the best there is of what I do, okay? That's what they tell no me. No one's told if you I've... that, Grifter. No one has told Th- you that. That's what he tells himself yeah. in the mirror every day <laughs> when he's when he's wearing his mask. Uh, if I'd been born here instead of there, you'd have been my boy partner. That's how good I am. Uh-huh. Okay, Grifter. And Batman goes, so you'll do this without the guns then? And Grifter goes... Ah, oh, what the hell. Yeah. And puts puts the gun away. I'll try anything once, he then says, as he kicks a zombie in the head. Now, I would have said that the whole point in having a bunch of zombies for Batman and Grifter to fight would be so that Grifter could shoot a ton of people. Yeah, this is one of those it, times where it's like you can just cut loose and do what you want because they're already dead. You're not killing people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know. Well, there we go. I, but I guess, you know, Batman doesn't like guns and he doesn't want to work with someone who's using them. Yeah, he's fine with green he's fine with green arrow though. That's not a gun. No, it is also a projectile weapon that can be used to kill people. Yeah, but it didn't but... kill his parents. Oh, no, you're right. Sorry. Yeah. He's also fine with trebuchets and uh ballistas and uh, just those little catapults like what Bart Simpson uses. <laughs> yes. Yes, for crying out loud. Um God, can you imagine if Joe Chill had killed Batman's parents with a bow and arrow? What if he'd like... I don't know. What if he killed him like really slowly, like with a whiffle bat or something <laughs> like that? No foam. No guns. Um, but we see everyone's favourite muscle man, Maul, uh, punching something. And Superman comes to him with a request and basically says, we need you to grow, get as big as you can, and take out that tower. And of course, as we all know, because I'm an expert on Maul. Uh, oh, yeah, I've seen your tattoo. Yeah. Uh, the bigger Maul gets, the stupider Maul gets. He stops thinking. Um, so he starts protesting, but then Majestic says, no, 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 hear him out. Superman has a plan. So it is a nice little moment showing that in this very brief period of time, Majestic now trusts Superman for no discernible reason that I can see. And it also maybe begs the question of why Majestic is even here. Uh, Fill out the numbers. They needed a Superman analogue. Yeah, because Superman has basically done everything Majestic does twice over and come up with good ideas. Yeah. Uh, But the plan is that Maul will grow so big that he will become mindless and he won't even remember how to change back. But Superman has a plan to burst his motor neurons, 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 uh, with electricity, which will cause him to return to normal size in 30 seconds. Apparently. It's it's like, how does Superman know that? I mean, he's... He's Superman. Look, P- PJ, look, he, he's not just super in terms of strength. He's super in terms of his understanding of anatomy and how, uh, you know, electrics might work. In the nervous system, PJ, it's, it's how, how it works. I, I think there is an element of when he becomes an energy being, he does develop sort of an innate feel for energy and how things work and, and everything but at the same time he's never met Maul before he's like no I can I can shrink you electricity <laughs> got it yeah um I yeah and 
I mean, it would be a hell of a, a shitter if it hadn't worked. <laughs> if and Superman they, was just lying. Oh, I got that wrong. And then they, and then he has to kill more. My bad. Uh, uh, meanwhile, because you know, like I said, everyone has to be given something to do, and everyone has to pair up. Um, Wonder Woman and Zealot are fighting these weird kind of like spinny blade creatures and zealot goes what kind of weapons are these ridiculous things it's like i'm fighting tom and jerry to which wonder woman says both our universes have tom and jerry (laughs) what are the chances of which is a nice little moment for these 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 crossovers where you do have it's a meeting of universes and everything's the same except which super teams you have (laughs) just a little comment on that that i appreciate yeah um i I don't want to dwell on the idea that tom and jerry might be the universal constant (laughs) that, that exists everywhere binding us all together protecting us uh and yeah there we go um he's also trying to imagine one woman sitting down to watch tom and jerry uh, she didn't say she was a fan of it no that's true she, she said she was culturally aware of PJ. <laughs> you know she she watches a lot of video essays um but maul uh has basically grown well kaiju colossal, size yeah kaiju size and I, I guess he was worth bringing along because he grows so big that he punches punches the entire citadel and kind of just knocks a massive hole in it essentially. Yep. Epoch's not happy. His eyes have gone red and he says you can't do that. And we've got a little timer which has suddenly appeared. Um, It didn't count all the way up to 30 but it just goes 27 28 and these guns kind of rise up to target Maul's head. 29. And then 30 seconds have elapsed. Superman's electric blast causes Maul to shrink back down just in time. Because uh, he would have been decapitated otherwise, I imagine. Yes. Yeah. That was that was close. It was good. <laughs> Do you know what? First time I read this through, it didn't twig that that's what the count up was. The 30 seconds for Maul to... I was like, what are these numbers? Oh, that gun, maybe. <sighs> I've got to say, it's it's not really set up. Because they only introduce it like the page before, yeah. So there's not enough time to do like if 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 he say the entire fight had had a countdown running across it, that could have been quite fun. But it, it's almost like there's too many ideas. Yeah, like slide it in. Didn't quite have time for it to breathe. Let's move on to a new idea. Yeah. So now we move on, uh, on to Superman and, Maje- and Majestic are approaching the the time cube. And Superman basically says to Majestic, look, your people have to keep him busy because you're not in his databases. He doesn't know anything about you guys because you're from a different universe. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that might be the entire reason the Wildcats were brought along. Um, And Superman's like, you just have to keep him busy while we reprogram the time cube Hmm. for reasons. And then Majestic says, if I lose any of my people, I want their equivalents from your world as replacements. Which is is a nice uh, little nod to the fact that these universes do have analogues for each other. Which, it do, like, do, I, 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 do they? I guess? I mean, it's... It, sort of. Yeah, I, so it's like, if, if Maul died, would... What do, how do you interpret this? If Maul died... Would 
Majestic want Green Lantern to take his place, or would he want the actual human being who is, I believe, Jeremy, who presumably... Is he suggesting that there is an identical version of Maul who isn't a superhero I, alive in this world? I've assumed it's just like which DC superhero? Uh, Atom Smasher, he's quite strong and gets big. Nuclon! Nuclon! Oh, they could totally have Nuclon. Oh my god, finally a use for Nuclon. <laughs> Poor Nuclon. I hope he's okay. I hope he survived that crash. <laughs> who cares? Nobody who cares, cares about Nuclon. Um, I guess what's kind of weird is that Superman basically just described what's about to happen, and then it happens. Yeah. Which is a little, little a bit of an odd story beat, if I think about it. Um, because we, sh- we have now Epoch bragging, doing the classic supervillain monologue. He's basically saying, like, you know, I knew you were coming. I've been preparing. Every single thing I've done, every trap, every weapon is primed to respond to Justice League DNA, you know, to, to, you can't do a single move that I can't counter. Uh, oh, wait, who are you? You're not the Justice League. And then and then we have the Wildcats just kind of standing there. Notice how as soon as Batman's back is turned, Grifter's got his guns out again. Yes. Um, quite how they got here, I do not know. It's, I don't know. I I just I think I've read this comic a lot of times. This, this is like the first time it stuck it struck me that some of the pacing is maybe <laughs> a little weird towards the end. Um, yeah, there we go. So uh, Majestic basically blasts energy straight into Epoch's eyes, which is looks painful. I guess this is maybe like i don't know could you almost make it i don't know i feel this this isn't what this book was about but you could almost make a case of like kind of like they did in earth 2 where like these two teams have wildly different ideologies Mm. like it could almost be like oh did we need a more edgy brutal 90s superhero team to fight dirty you know that could almost be like a case but I don't know if that's what was being said here or not, because like Majestic just basically shooting Epoch or destroying his eyes is maybe a bit more violent than what the JLA would do. Definitely. Um, but it's all right, because Epoch starts regrowing his eyes. Yeah. Um, he's basically in full-on power trip mode, isn't he? Because he's like, there is no word for what I am becoming. God is too small. Which is, I guess, if you're gonna brag, that's a pretty good brag. Yeah, and he's uh, we then he sort of gets surrounded by a big green glowing energy, not Green Lantern, just its own green energy. I shouldn't use green energy when Green Lantern's around; that could get confusing. And, yes, and he says he's fusing with the Omega tractor. Uh, the Omega tractor. <laughs> <laughs> he's got some plowing to do. <laughs> He's fusing with the Omega Attractor. <laughs> He's in touch with everything. He's untouchable. He's immortal. Yes, because for some reason now, despite already having fused with the Omega Attractor, he's now transcending towards godhood, basically. Um, and he almost had the perfect shield up, uh, but Void was just able to teleport inside it and disable it. So... Yeah, that allows Grifter to just shoots him sh- straight up. Just shoot- shoots him. <laughs> yeah, just I mean that shoots this godlike being with a gun, 
Now, like now, he probably with, with per- two guns. Yes, you're right. Sorry, uh, with two guns, which he probably purchased from a shop. Uh, but that's all right because then Zealot throws her sword at him, which which has the power of sharp. Um, be, being being a little being, sharp, being sharp, could cut things with it. I mean, I'm I'm not suggesting that you need superpowers to be a superhero. Batman does all right. Uh, I I would just merely point out that having two guns and a sword is infinitesimally as effective as being any one of the JLA, perhaps. But it it seems to do the trick briefly. Yeah, um, he uh, Epoch is basically turning into a giant Kirby dot nightmare where he's about to become a new Big Bang and will remake the entire universe in his image, basically. Yeah. Uh, and then Grifter asks if Epoch is on drugs, and it's you'd like you—you've seen some stuff here, Grifter. Why would you jump to that conclusion? <laughs> Again, yeah. Why would you assume that he isn't telling the truth right now? Um, but the JLA are already here—the the real heroes they, of the book. The real heroes, thank God. And they have the time cube with them, and. But basically, this is kind of like what Batman was talking about quite early on in the story about four-dimensional chess yeah. and fighting across time periods because uh, they have outmaneuvered him somehow. Yeah, and uh, basically Superman explains exactly what's about to happen. He says, uh, given the circumstances, it's the only solution. We've programmed the time cube to create a circle in time, a temporal prison cell. And Batman points out, and you can't stop it, it's already happened. I do like that Superman apologises. Yes, that's a very Superman thing to do. Because he's kind of aware that we're trapping Epoch in an endless time loop is... Well, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty horrible fate. But at the same time, Epoch was a pretty horrible guy. This is like... It's just a nice little touch about Superman. He's like, look, I'm, he's, he is a bit of a boy scout, but he's not, he's not an idiot. Like, he knows that people deserve punishing. And this is the only the most humane thing they can do and the only way of stopping him, mm. basically. Um, it's just like a weird little thing where Epoch says, which was alluded to very briefly at the start of the story, where because he's a time traveller, he read in the history books about how he ruled the Earth. So he knew his victory was guaranteed. Uh, but Kyle says, they, they, yeah, you did rule the Earth for like a week. I guess they never said for how long. Yeah, and then Flash does point out, if we got this wrong, he could be back any second now. And so they pause for a second, and he doesn't come back, so Grifter says, guess we won. Yeah, and and thus thus ends the story, essentially. Um, it's time to say goodbye. Uh, Void is like, well, conveniently, the tunnel back to our universe is decaying, so as much as we'd love to stay, stay here as friends forever, we have to go home, basically. This is the end. And then there's all the little goodbyes, you know. Wonder Woman says, well, we could use more women like you on our world to Zealot. And Zealot's like, one's enough for any world. Ha ha ha. Superman shakes hands with Majestic and says, uh, thank you for your help. Maybe we'll get a chance to actually sit down and talk someday. Do you think they will? Says. Well, who could have known? Did the Grant Morrison of 1997 know that that would eventually happen? 
Who knows? He might. Have. I mean, it does. He might. Yeah. Have. I mean, um, there's also a nice little moment from Majestic here, uh, where he basically says, to "Superman, uh, look, Superman. I don't know if we'd actually have anything in common. I mean, I come from another star system. Um, you should wear a cape." And I do like Superman's face in that panel, just the little smile and the. Oh, if only you knew. Um, Batman reminds Grifter that you don't really need guns to be good, and Grifter's like, "Yeah, but I can't honestly see the Grifterang catching on back home, so I'll skip with the guns." But he does give Batman, uh, his guns as something for the trophy room. Yeah. And okay. <laughs> I wonder if we'll see those again. Never said said John. Uh, which may have, you know, that one little moment having shaped so many decisions in our podcasting <laughs> schedule. Uh, and then, yeah, the Wildcats wave goodbye. And I guess suddenly that's it. Our heroes are back in their respective universes. Yeah, you get a nice panel where the universes are separated by a, a weird energy beam. And uh, Grifter says that the, he, he thought the Justice League were a hell of a nice people. And Superman goes, okay, let's clean up. And I guess all that remains is a weird little epilogue where Epoch is falling backwards through time and essentially he's he's matter becoming energy, he's about to explode, he's about to become pure, pure energy and he is exploding into the Dark Nova, which gave him his powers in the very first place. Yeah, and then it starts again. Then he falls back loop. again and he's just stuck there and that's that's where he is. Uh, the greatest moment of his life, just reliving it endlessly. The end. And I'm literally closing the book on this classic Wildcats adventure. Yeah. So- so, PJ, um, what did you think of the second half and both the story as a whole? The second half isn't as good as the first half. Um, it isn't, is it? No. <laughs> like I say, for me, the the opening what, 20 pages or so with the JLA are pretty good. It's a pretty good JLA story. And then suddenly it becomes a crossover and not a very interesting one. It is, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because I, I know we, and the story is, is 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 really kind of like one story. It wasn't necessarily meant to be broken up. We we found this kind of like arbitrary point to split it across a couple of yeah. episodes. Um, but that that did seem like the midpoint. You know, it it goes from being like here's the setup. The two teams have met. They finally overcome their differences. Okay second half like that's thematically the middle of the story but oddly enough like breaking it up the way we did it did just kind of drive home i guess like yeah how kind of how much weaker the second half is like it yeah i don't know it's 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 a very oddly paced story like overall it's oddly paced i feel like certain characters superman for one do quite a few times in the book act fairly out of character like they don't feel like themselves part of me wonders if um 
Morrison didn't have time to redraft it. Like it's it's being based off an early draft and he didn't have time to, to rework it anymore. I would, yeah. Now I would love to know a little more about this and, 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 and what was going on because as we've said a few times, it was released in a very busy month yes. for DC. The same month that uh, JLA Secret Files and Origins came out, uh, you had that, you had JLA Wildcats, you had the last chapter of American Dreams and the first chapter of Rock of Ages. And this is a world away from any of that content. But that means that that would be four four JLA comics in the space of a month written by Morrison, one of which is is like 60 pages long. Maybe there were time constraints. Yeah, or again, I, I do wonder if it was if it was written earlier and then kind of but again it had energy superman didn't it so it must have been fairly contemporary i don't know it's so strange isn't it because not only does superman seem a little out of character it it just in general he also seems slightly out of character to morrison's superman yes like yeah it's not just that he's not superman he's not it doesn't seem really the same as 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 the, as the hero we see in the rest of the series because Morrison was basically living and breathing these characters at this point. Like it would have just been JLA all the time. It's yeah, it's weird that this one is such an oddity. It's and I, I wonder how much um, how much editorial input came from DC and how much from the image side. Because presumably, you, I believe usually with these crossovers, you do get one editor from each company working on the book. Um, I can see why Wildcats fans, even not really knowing the characters, may not have been too happy with how their characters were portrayed as well as essentially subservient to the JLA. Um, it, it, I, I said it last episode, but it really does feel like a JLA comic guest starring the Wildcats. Yeah. Which, again, is some of the best... Is some of the best content. Like I, it's kind of strange that this may have sprung from some kind of political decision to, you know, because when you do a crossover, you you're trying to shine a light on on both teams. You're trying to cross pollinate, you know, reach a new audience. But like, it it wasn't an equal standing. Like the JLA were the much 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 more established team by. Well, decades, hmm. frankly. It's 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 so weird to think what DC got out of this, really. Um Yeah, I mean, all I can think is it was a way for Image to try and get some of the DC readers interested in their characters and maybe people who weren't reading hadn't picked up JLA because they liked the grim and gritty nineties characters to think, Oh, maybe this this is for me and they'd go and get JLA afterwards. But I can't really see how successfully it would have done that for either side. Like, certainly, it hasn't inspired me to go and check out any Wildcats. Some of the stuff you've told me about what they did later with it, maybe, but that book, based on that, I wouldn't care. And, and I've got to say, like, if if you'd... Say I, I'd been following the series at the time, and I'd been, you know, I was really loving it, really loving this interpretation of the team. If you told me that there was a spin-off at the same time where the current JLA team would meet the Wildcats... I wouldn't have been interested. I think the only reason I track this down is because it was written by Grant Morrison. Mm. It's because I'm, you know, I'm such a Morrison fan and I was such a 
am such a fan of his run on this series. So that was the only appeal. It wasn't the meeting of the characters. It was just, oh, here's more content featuring these characters I love in a in a voice I love. And yet, yeah, they, they are slightly different. It's not quite the team I'd come to love. It's very curious. Yeah, it's 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 a weird little uh outlier to the rest of to the rest of Morrison's JLA. It's it's I mean as I say I hadn't read it until we read it here and and I don't feel like I'd missed anything out. Um No, it I I used to, I must admit I probably I used to rate it slightly higher than I do now. I actually I actually feel that kind of like coming back to it again for the purpose of this podcast. I I, don't, I certainly don't hate it because there's there's some nice moments to like yeah. in it, but it definitely seems a lot more inconsequential. Uh, kind of like when we were talking about crossovers last episode, and you listed the many kind of JLA crossovers that happened around this time. Mm. Like I kind of assumed this one meant a bit more because Morrison had written it, but yeah, it's like in a weird way, I look at it now and think, oh, this is an oddity. This is like those other things. It's not meant to be. There's no deeper meaning here. It's just meant to be like a fun little, oh, one-off and then discard it. It doesn't really add anything to the main canon. The the only thing it's sort of done for me in, in that respect is explained why Epoch has a fact file in JLA Secret Files and Origins 1. And I guess we... And I guess... To, to contradict my statement just then, I guess the only other weird thing is that there are bizarre tie-ins from this story to the main series. Because in the very next issue, which we're going to explore, the first part of American Dreams, there is uh, there are two direct references to this story. See, that's interesting to me. And now I've read this story, obviously I will be looking out for those because at JLA issue five, I guess we're on uh, part one of American yes. Dreams. Yeah. Um, so I will definitely be looking out for those. I just saying a really weird oddity because it kind of suggests that this did mean more and yet i don't know did it i don't know i'd love to be a fly on the wall it does to have been a fly on the wall it does make me think that though that maybe morrison had written this before jla5 and then the timing of his release was 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 down to how long it took to get drawn or something along those lines and and maybe it was morrison's first time writing electric blue superman oh, oh god yeah pj you're blowing my mind yeah you're yeah, you're right. That's bizarre because I suddenly I was like, I've just been staring at it, and that that glaring contradiction of this was released in September '97, and yet the JLA issue with two direct references to this story came out in May '97. That's so weird. Yeah, because American Dreams is five issues, isn't it? You get the the one part story at the beginning, and then two two part stories. Yeah, for the rest of the book. So yeah. That is mad. Okay, well, there we go. Um, uh, what's it? Okay, PJ, let, let's end it on a positive note. What was what was one really positive thing you you enjoyed in this story? Um, I really liked. I, I, I've mentioned it already, but I really liked the beginning of the story where the JLA are, are hitting all the different time periods, following trying to track Epoch down, and you have the reference to all the different time travel devices and things from the future that they find buried in the past and the cameo appearance of uh, of Marcus, the the centurion uh, that Superman acknowledges. Little touches like that from from that beginning portion of the story, I think, are the bits 
I enjoyed and appreciated the most. Yeah, and I I I guess I'd really have to have to echo that. Like I, the first what sixteen pages or so, mm. it's a lovely little JLA story. Like it's 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 quite a fun little adventure, and uh, maybe it feels a, a little a little bit of like a as you say a first draft or a little rough around the edges. But yeah, these are the characters we love. It's yeah, I'd say it's maybe worth worth reading for that alone yeah and you can get it on comiXology for just the price of a normal comic as well so you know you get your normal sized comic of the jla doing their jla stuff and then you don't have to read the wildcat stuff that's fine yes doing their jl activities no that no no okay no i tried um well i guess probably the most exciting thing about coming to the end of jla wildcats is that our our little detour through the weird and wonderful world of tie-ins, spin-offs, and prequels, has come to an end, and we are—we can now officially get back onto the main series for a time. For a time, we've got yes. more details <laughs> coming up, but yeah, we've got a, a few episodes now where we get back to the the core JLA series, Morrison and Porter, and that's exciting. Oh man, I, 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 yeah, I'm so excited. I've got a real soft spot for American Dreams, and. Yeah, I, I, I can't wait to dive into it. It's going to be great. Yeah. Oh, there's uh, a couple of characters that I'm really looking forward to, to seeing again. My life. Well, okay, we're on, on the promise of exciting and new things, um, I should say uh, a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell for doing our amazing cover artwork. And to Elliot Red for composing and performing our fantastic theme tune, Justice. Uh, I guess... Uh, it's been a pleasure uh, going on this adventure. I hope you're all enjoying listening. Uh, if you'd like to follow PJ and I on the social medias, our details are in the description, uh, as are both Gavin and uh, Elliot's. Uh, so, PJ, um, I, th- I think it's only fair that you you uh, you do us the honours and uh, as you're so so wonderful at and uh, sign us off. Okay, here we go. Thank God that's over. Yes, energy, lion face. Rawr. Lemon face. Ooh. <laughs> we should do a podcast together. We get all the same references. <laughs> 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 <laughs>